On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to the About Books program and podcast. In this episode, we're going to introduce you to Kyle Zimmer. She is the CEO and co-founder of a children's literacy organization called First Book. But let's start with some publishing industry news. Axios is reporting that Republican Senator Mitch McConnell has granted full access to his archives for an upcoming biography. The access was granted to Mike Tackett, a longtime Washington, D.C. reporter who's currently deputy bureau chief at the Associated Press. The book will be titled The Price of Power. Simon & Schuster is the publisher. Publishing date, TBD. Also in the news, freshman Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri is writing a memoir. It's called The Forerunner. It will be available in October. Congresswoman Bush said, quote, if telling my story helps others in positions of power to better understand how their decision-making affects regular, everyday people, people like me, then my own self-exposure is worth it. Again, that's Democratic Representative Cori Bush of Missouri. In other news, Fast Company reports how social influencers on TikTok have impacted book sales over the past two years. Using the hashtag BookTok, several users have gained a following reviewing books, and this has the publishing industry taking notice. Regarding the trend, NPD Books' Kristen McLean said, quote, I've been an industry analyst since 2010, and this is the first time that I have seen organic social media impact like this. I don't think this would have happened without COVID. People, teens especially, spent more time at home with their books. And according to NPD BookScan, print book sales fell 16% for the week ending March 5th and are down over 5% for the year. And this is the About Books program and podcast. We're about to introduce you to somebody who is involved in children's literature in her own way, and that is Kyle Zimmer who is CEO of a group called First Book. Ms. Zimmer, what is First Book? Well, First Book is a nonprofit social enterprise uh, founded 30 years ago by myself and by a couple of friends of mine. And um, what we're focused on is educational equity for kids in need across the country. And a major way that we deliver educational equity is by making sure that kids in poverty have all access to all the wonderful books they need and that their educators need to, uh, to elevate their educational experiences and their love of books. Now you call yourself a social enterprise. What does that mean? Well, it's, uh, that's a, a, a kind of nonprofit that takes lessons from the private sector and applies them for the benefit of the social sector. And so we're 100% a nonprofit, but we steal strategies, we steal pages, 
out of the for-profit world so that we can leverage our work to reach more kids, more educators uh, than we would otherwise. Well, could you explain a little bit about your business plan and your distribution? It's a little different than a lot of nonprofits. It is, you know, Peter, we're not your grandmother's charity. Uh, we we have built uh, a, a really broad, far-reaching set of models because what we do from the outset is we try to identify what are the major failures in the system of providing equity to kids in need. And, uh, and then we build uh, large scalable solutions to those failures. And let me give you a couple of quick examples. We recognized, all of us recognize that kids in need need 360 degree surround sound of educational opportunities, formal and informal, but the world of institutions that serve these kids, that are dedicated to these kids, it's highly diffuse. It's church basements, it's homeless shelters, it's healthcare settings. Of course, it's Title I and Title I eligible schools. And so what we have done is we've aggregated the largest community of those educators, formal and informal in all those settings across the US and Canada, so we can begin working as a unified group. That's called the First Book Network. It currently has over 525,000 members, and it's growing by thousands every month. And that in and of itself is a thrilling thing because then you can begin uh, using market strength on behalf of this group uh, that have never had any kind of leverage for their work. And so we use their, their input uh, through another model that we use called the first, first book research and insights. And again, another failure is that while the private sector is brilliant at, at leveraging data about consumers, what they want, what they need, the truth is that the social sectors and, and all of us working in the educational realm, we don't have access to data like that. So First Book built it. We have a research arm that reaches into this large community serving kids zero to 18 years of age. We reach in, we say, what are the pain points? What do your kids need? What do you need? to serve them, to elevate their experiences, and then we respond to that. And so we have a research arm to address the failure of research. And then quickly, two others. One is called the First Book Marketplace, and that is uh, a powerful nonprofit e-commerce site. And what the marketplace does is it purchases broad, large inventories of books Uh, serving zero to 18 wonderful, diverse books, top of the line, brand new books on behalf of this uh, network, this online community we serve. We resell those books to that community and uh, but at very, very low cost. So the average cost of a book on our site is about four dollars, including uh, shipping and handling. And so that, you know, gives our educators and their kids by the millions 
uh, access to the most breathtaking books that uh, publishers are producing in the full range of uh, diversity that our country represents. And, and the last thing is called the accelerator. And the accelerator, again, we turn to our research arm, we listen to the educators, and they said to us, there are things that with their challenges in our classrooms and our programs that we're trying to deal with and we're not trained for it or we're trained but we don't have the latest thinking so first book reaches outside of our organization we identify the thought leaders in these strategic critical categories social and emotional learning grief and loss how to teach race and culture in classrooms and programs. And we identify those thought leaders and we work with them to package their research-based strategies and we make them available on the First Book Marketplace site to our community that has asked for it. And so that's our sort of fleet of primary models. And uh, all of them, again, are driven by the educators who all need our help. So, Kyle Zimmer, if I were a third grade teacher, let's say, could I go to firstbook.org and request 30 books or purchase 30 books? Um, If you are a a third grade teacher, this is like my favorite question I've ever gotten, Peter. Uh, If you are a third grade teacher in a Title I or Title I eligible school, you are welcome to come to First Book. We would love to have you please sign up with us. It's uh, free to sign up. There's no obligation whatsoever. And uh, it takes like five minutes online. And then you can go to the First Book Marketplace once you're a member of the network and you can purchase books from us. There are books that are free or at, or at uh, very, very low cost. And there is our whole assembly of resources as well. And those are free to you. So how do you get your books at in such bulk? Well, it's, it's two primary ways. One is what I just described, which is we, we went to the publishers and we said, um, you know, let me back up, Peter, and say, I love the publishing industry. I literally love them. I think there, there's no more creative group of people. There's no more dedicated group of people in the world than the publishers. But the problem is the way the industry is designed, it is designed really to serve most fundamentally the people at the top of the economic ladder. And so First Book went to the publishers and we said, we would like to go out and aggregate everybody serving kids in the bottom 30% of the socioeconomic ladder. We will aggregate them, we will vet them, we'll be certain that they are who they say they are, and then we're going to come to you and we're going to make large scale inventory buys. So we do that. We move about 17 million books through our system annually. A large percentage of them are books that we purchase from the from the publishers on a non-returnable basis. And we make them available on our website at these dramatically low costs, but it's only available to the folks who are registered with us and vetted as serving kids in need. And so one way is we purchase the inventory. And the second way is publishers have been profoundly generous with us 
and they have uh, they make contributions of their inventories every single year, reaching millions and millions of kids. Those books are also available on the First Book Marketplace website, and which is fbmarketplace.org. And those books remain free to our members. All you have to do is pay shipping and handling, which runs about 65, 70 cents a book. So those are the two major categories of, in, of book inventory. And on the free enterprise side, Kyle Zimmer, the publishers get a tax credit for this, right? They do indeed. They do indeed. And it's a new market for them, right? And, you know, the thing about that I love about what we've built, Peter, is that and all of your viewers, I've got to believe, would love this, too, because, you know, all of your viewers are book lovers. We know the power of a great story. We know that it has power in our lives. And we know that it also it changes the life of a kid who becomes a reader and a learner. We know all that. But the problem is the industry is not designed to accommodate that and to accommodate, uh, you know, uh, reaching an audience that doesn't have the resources to buy at retail. And so, and, and so the, the wonderful news about that is not only do they get a tax credit for inventory that they contribute, but in addition, we've opened a new market for them. And that's good for the industry. And that also is incredibly important to all of us who love books. And it's incredibly important to the kids we reach. We reach over 5 million kids every year. And, uh, and it's also important to the authors. Like think about the authors who are reaching new, new kids every, you know, who they wouldn't ordinarily reach. It's so it's around the whole table. It's a wonderful uh, setup. Why did you approach this with the free enterprise capitalist system the marketplace system in mind when you set it up? You know, um, we need to solve these problems at extraordinary scale. And in fact, when you look at the fact that we have 30 million kids who are at or below, you know, the poverty line, who are uh, in that that low-income bracket, this is not something that can be solved uh, by the kindness of strangers or by excess inventories in small quantities. We need an engine. We need an engine that is fully scalable, that can grow to reach all of those kids, all of their families, that can fuel the educators who are dedicating their lives to these kids. Uh, and that is not going to happen based on uh, uh, a, a small scale, uh, you know, engine. And so what we recognized is that it had to be fully scalable to reach millions of kids. It also has to be economically viable. And that's important too, because even down at our $4 a book level for the books that we resell, there's a skinny little margin that comes to first book that pays for 50% of our operating costs. And so the bigger we get, the more we'll be able to, to reach more kids. It, it actually, it's a self-perpetuating uh, economic engine 
that delivers all the way around. And so um, I, I hope that answered your question, but it's, uh, it's all about, we wanna design something that reaches every kid who's waiting for us. Well, Kyle Zimmer, you talked about that 50% of revenue. Where does the other 50% come from? Is it donations, et cetera, government? It, it is, uh, it is donations. It's not government. Um, we, the other 50% are corporations uh, who come to us and, and partner with us in sponsorship, wonderful corporations who've been at our side for, for 30 years. Uh, we also have a great set of donors, and I would urge all of the book lovers, of course, who are uh, watching uh, this interview, please go to firstbook.org if you can and support us. We make every dollar uh, reach its maximum impact, and, uh, and we could really use your help. Uh, so it's a combination of corporate money and uh, individual contributions and a little foundation money as well. Have you thought about government grants? We have thought about government grants. And of course, we're based right here in Washington, D.C. And occasionally we have uh, involvement with with government grants, but that's not the fundamental design of the organization. So, Kyle Zimmer, what about the public library system? Is it involved in First Book at all? It is involved with First Book. I, I, you know, like I can barely find the words to say how much I love librarians. Um, we have libraries who are that are that are signed up with us as recipient organizations to distribute First Book books um, because of the population they serve and where they're located. We have libraries that are in very affluent neighborhoods that are signed up with us because of the outreach they do. They're wonderful community programs that reach into other populations uh, that need more help. And uh, so they are involved with us from the community level to the regional level and all the way up to the American Library Association. So you've been doing this for 30 years. Is your background in publishing and in books or libraries? 13 years is a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, my background is not at all in publishing, or uh, I, I don't have the creativity of, at all to be an author or anything like that. I, I'm a lawyer. I was a lawyer, not just a lawyer, but a, lawyer, a Washington, D.C. lawyer. Um, and I uh, began, I, you know, I should say from my background, I was lucky enough to grow up in a household that valued education above anything else that was filled with books. And I know the power of that in my own life. So I had that in my DNA. But also, when I was a lawyer practicing, I began volunteering at a local soup kitchen. And that soup kitchen, um, you know, really taught me so much because I began going a couple, three times a week, and I would go in and there'd be kids who, uh, you know, big smiles, looking for uh, a place to hang out. And I kept thinking, gosh, you know, if we just had books, we could read with these kids. And then I began kind of peeling the onion and trying to learn about what's the cost of kids' books and, and why are books not available in these settings and what are the obstacles to that and what are the what's the impact of not having them available. And so... I really became a student of the publishing industry and uh, 
and it all kind of rolled out from there. Um, and, and because this is a problem that I think, uh, Peter, I, I think there's almost nothing more fundamental to our country and everything that we say we believe in than this issue. Uh, it's, it affects uh, the kids' life, uh, not just in elevating their academic life, which of course is critical, but it, it affects their employability, you know, their, their ability to, to get a job, to support their family, to engage in their community. Um, it affects our uh, democracy. It affects the American dream that every kid has the chance to grow up and do and fulfill their their uh, their destiny. And uh, I uh, I think there's nothing more basic than this. It's about racial justice. Uh, it's about economic uh, equality, and it's about having the big chance that we all deserve to have. Some facts about a first book. Five million children a year served and over 200 million books have been provided to children across the U.S. Kyle Zimmer, what's in the future for First Book? Um, More and better is in the future. We have a scaling plan that's just about to roll out onto the launch pad that will have us in the next five years Uh, on a significant additional growth trajectory. Uh, We are currently in about 60% of Title I schools. This scaling plan takes us to 100% of Title I schools. Um, That is critical. The schools need our help. Educators need our support. They need the resources uh, in their classrooms, in their programs, that they, so that they can do their extraordinary work. So you'll be hearing a lot more about us. Uh, we intend to flex our muscles and get out there and scale these programs until we're reaching our full potential. Well, we should note that in 2005, you won an award from the Yale School of Management. What was that? <laughs> well, that, you know, at First Book, we believe in business planning, in really you know, putting, we don't do anything off the cuff. We put pen to paper. We try to uh, analyze every angle of uh, a biz- of our, one of our models. We pilot for a number of years uh, to make sure that we don't waste anybody's time and we don't waste any money. We're very careful about that. And so we, in 2005 or, you know, 2004 and three, in that age or in that time frame, we uh, began designing and piloting the first book marketplace, this online, this e-commerce site that offers the books and resources that I describe. And we wrote our business plan for the marketplace based on all of our pilots and all of our great thinking. And we submitted it to the Yale School of Management and won the national competition for, uh, you know, best national business plan. Uh, and, and the proof is in the pudding, right? We were able to roll that out, roll the marketplace out, recruit the funding needed underneath it. And look at us now at 17 million books annually, reaching 5 million kids uh, and supporting 
525,000 educators. So I I guess the plan paid off. (laughs) Well, I've got to ask you for the last 20 minutes while we've been talking, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library has been going through my head, and I just wanted to get your thoughts about that. You know, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is a spectacular program. Um, We have worked with them over the years. They are, uh, it's a different model than what we do, but the truth is we need everybody. We need multiple models. This isn't an issue that's going to be resolved with one approach. And so uh, I'm a huge fan of Dolly. Uh, I think she has tremendous integrity and they've done wonderful, wonderful work. So bravo. Well, former Washington DC lawyer, Kyle Zimmer (laughs) is the CEO and co-founder of First Book and the website is firstbook.org. We appreciate your joining us on About Books. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks to all your uh, viewers. And this is About Books, Book TV's look at the latest publishing, news, and nonfiction books. Here's some books being published this week. Former Republican Congressman Will Hurd of Texas argues that America needs to address the challenges of the 21st century. He offers his thoughts on how to move the country forward in his book, American Reboot. In 8 Billion and Counting, Rhodes College International Studies professor Jennifer Shuba looks at the world's current population demographics and what they portend for the future of international affairs. And Harvard's Kennedy School of Government lecturer and Obama administration alum Juliet Kayyem offers her thoughts on how the government can better address natural and man-made disasters. Her newest book is called The Devil Never Sleeps. Also being published this week, Matt Damon and Gary White's The Worth of Water, a recounting of their co-founding of the nonprofit organizations Water.org and Water Equity and their efforts to combat water crises around the world. And conservationist and economist John Green and the late biologist Thomas Lovejoy argue that preserving the world's megaforests can play a part in offsetting climate change. The book is called Evergreen. Now, most of these authors have or will be appearing on book TV. Well, this weekend on our author interview program afterwards, author Vince Ellison argues that Democratic Party leaders are purposely misleading the American public and destroying the country. Here's a portion of that interview. This is about a party that has systematically tried to destroy this nation three straight times in a row, from from slavery to confederacy to Jim Crow. And now they're doing it again with socialism and they're doing it again with atheism. And it's very subtle, it's very seductive. You know, if you depend on me, I'll give you everything you need. They're taking God's place. Not prosecuting crime. Oh, no, not, not prosecuting crime. You know, uh, oh, no bail, uh, yes. defunding the police. And don't believe that they're not going to defund the police if they ever get in power again, okay? Because this is how they, 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 they have to make you insecure. But then they want anarchy. Uh, yes. That, and if they get anarchy, they have control. See, when people are afraid, when people have no security, when people are trying to survive, that's when they turn to government. And that was author Vince Ellison talking about his new book, That will air this weekend on Afterwards. You can watch the entire program and all previous episodes of Afterwards online at booktv.org. And finally, here's a look at the current best-selling books according to the Boston Globe. 
Topping the list, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and creator of the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones. It's her look at American history and slavery's legacy in present day America. After that is actor Stanley Tucci's memoir, Taste, My Life Through Food. Then it's Atlas of the Heart, University of Houston professor Brene Brown's thoughts on making meaningful human connections. That's followed by Charles McKezzie's illustrated fables, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And wrapping up our look at the Boston Globe's best-selling nonfiction books is These Precious Days, a collection of essays by novelist Ann Patchett. And that's a look at this week's publishing news and the latest nonfiction books. Thanks for joining us on About Books. A reminder that About Books is available as a podcast at the C-SPAN Now app or wherever you get your podcasts.